Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We would love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit our website at www.lifechurchofrichmond.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. God is good, amen. Tell you what, before we go to the Word of the Lord, why don't you stand up and greet somebody next to you. Reach across the aisle, find somebody. If it's somebody you don't know, tell them who you are. Tell them it's good to see them in the house of the Lord today. Amen, amen. Good to see everybody in church today. Amen, just want to We had a lot of announcements uh, today, a lot of activities. I didn't want you to miss this. This Wednesday night is our first Wednesday prayer. Now, beginning in the fall, we're going to be moving it to the first Friday night of the month. So don't miss out. This Wednesday night, we'll be having an hour of prayer. Hope you can join us on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock and uh, mark that date on your calendar. Be here. Uh, It's always an inspiring time when we come together and pray together corporately. Now, today as we... uh, Continue our series in the book of Acts. We pick back up with Peter in Acts chapter 11. Uh, He's in Jerusalem sharing with the Jewish believers what happened with the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Uh, We started off in Acts chapter 11 last week. Peter had preached the gospel to the Gentiles, uh, the Gentile household of Cornelius. They had received the gospel. They had been baptized in water. They also received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I cannot overstate to you the importance of this story. You might say, man, we're still talking about this story. Yes, we are. And and the proof is the amount of space and detail that was given uh, to it by Luke, who was the author of the book of Acts. He talked more about this event than any other event in the entire book of Acts. Especially if you add to it a similar discussion that they had in Acts chapter 15. Now, these Jewish believers here in Acts 11, they challenged Peter and his interaction with the Gentiles. Peter recapped the entire story in the first 17 verses of Acts chapter 11. We read that last week. But today I want to just focus on his closing remarks in verses 15 through 17. So if you have your Bibles, get those out and let's look at Acts chapter 11 and we're going to go to verse 15. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can just look on the screen. It says, and I began to speak. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I 
to stand in God's way, or in this, the New King James that they have up there, if you can find it in the New Living Translation, but it says in the New Living, who was I to stand in God's way? Or who was I that I could withstand God? I want you to, can you hear Peter right now? He says, guys, I know it was against our tradition. I know we thought we were the only ones that were going to be saved. I know we thought that our way was the only way. He said, but God decided to do something different. And who was I to stand in his way? From the King James and the New King James, it said, who was I that I could withstand God? From the New Century Version, he said it this way, how could I stop the work of God? From the message, he said, how could I object to God? And from the NIV, he said, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So I want to preach on this subject here today. Don't stand in God's way. Don't stand in God's way. Turn to your neighbor and say, you better not stand in God's way. Amen. Now, I have talked uh, on this some the last few weeks, but let me go just a little bit deeper about why this whole issue was such a big deal to the Jews. I want to set a good foundation so you'll understand why they were so passionate about this. Jewish believers had committed their lives to the law of Moses ever since childhood. Now, when a Jew in this modern dispensation of the New Testament, when they accepted Christ, understand they did not forsake their Judaistic tradition. But instead, they saw Christianity as an extension of their faith, as an extension of their Judaism. Does that make sense? Now, in their minds, Christ had added some new teachings to their existing law and religion. He had not taken anything away. Therefore, if you wanted to accept Jesus and become a Christian, you had to first become a Jew. You had to be circumcised. You had to be committed to the law of Moses. You had to observe all the ceremonies and the rituals of Judaism. And once you had done these things, then you could receive Christ, you could be baptized, and then you could be accepted into the church. That's how the Jews accepted and embraced Christianity. Now, why did they have such an intense commitment to all things Judaism? Well, let me rewind just a couple of thousand years. After the Israelites had made it back into the promised land following the exile, there was a series of conquerors and powers that overshadowed Israel. One of the worst times was not 2,000 years ago, but it was actually just 150 years before the time that Jesus came on the scene. There was a systematic persecution under uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was uh, there, and he, he, he was a bad guy. He would uh, attack, and he would uh, come against all of the Jews that were keeping the purity laws that involved what to eat, as well as the Sabbath, and all the outward signs of Judaism, such as circumcision. And those Jews who were faithful and committed to their practices, they were often killed. They were often driven out of their homes. This guy was ruthless. Amen. This was just 150 years before Jesus came on the scene. And so there was a decision to be made, even back then. Was showing my faith, was keeping to what I believed is true, was it really worth dying for? Can you follow me? 
These Puritans, their, their purity laws, God had placed them there for a reason. The purpose of the barrier was to protect Israel from falling into idolatry and sin. Their dietary laws, for an example, it was an analogy that was meant to teach them about holiness. They were meant to teach God's people about their own stubborn wickedness. And, and those barriers were meant to protect them from going back. Amen. How many of you can say, thank God, that there's some barriers in your life? They're not intended to make your life bad. They're just there to keep you from going back. Amen. No pious Jew desired to become ceremonial unclean and violate the law of Moses. And if they did that, they would do just that. These religious codes were not just some small cultural difference to them. This was a big deal. These laws marked faithfulness as they understood it. And if you lowered the bar on the purity codes, if you lowered the bar on the dietary laws, who knows what would be next? And even more than that, it made all the past of knowing who was who and who went fit where, it made it irrelevant. And actually it pushed against the idea that there was just one special people of God and that anybody that fit that category was in and everybody else was out. It had become about status. This thing had grown into something really that was not uh, just there for their protection, but it had gotten unhealthy. It had grown about how God picks people. This barrier between Jew and Gentile, it was a legal barrier which it didn't even allow a Jew to even step foot into the home of a Gentile. If a Gentile milked a cow that belonged to a Jew, guess what? A Jew couldn't even drink the milk. It had to be given to a Gentile. Whether they be God-fearing or not, th this wall just seemed like it was going to last for eternity. So Luke tells us, the writer of Acts, that it was Peter that crossed over that barrier. And Peter, who declared that it had become uh, obsolete by the cross, and by stepping into the home of Cornelius, I hope I've made this clear to you, Peter started an avalanche. Peter started what was almost a religious war. So here are these Jews and that we're reading about in Acts chapter 11. The Jews who had ancestors, maybe their great-grandfather was one of those that had died 150 years ago trying to stay true to God and his call on their lives. And now this whole thing is being upended. The whole apple cart has been upturned. And you see, now there's this call to be different. And over time, the, the convictions that they had and the things that they had embraced, hear me, it did not just help them or teach them but all these laws did something that God was not so happy about. People began to develop, and the Jews right here, they demonstrate this, this us versus them mentality. You know what, isn't it sad how purity can become pride? Isn't it sad how holiness can sometimes become haughtiness? Isn't it unfortunate that sometimes righteousness can become arrogance uh, in any of us if we don't monitor our lives continually. Aren't you glad that nobody in the church has ever thought they were better than anybody else? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> let, me, let me back up from that. But you see, this is what was happening with the Jews. They thought that we are better than them. And these laws that were meant to keep them holy had now morphed into this idea that the Jewish race was better than other races. 
Understand, there's a lot of times God puts things in our lives, and if we're not careful, our old carnal flesh can get so proud that what God intended, come on somebody, what God intended to be holy and righteous now becomes haughtiness and arrogance. I'm going to help somebody today. Amen? You see, Grandpa died because he stayed strong, and now, Peter, here you are. You're not taking our faith seriously. How dare you change those things? But did you know Jesus did all of that? Jesus turned their whole system upside down. No wonder they crucified him. Eating with tax collectors. Eating with sinners. Working on the Sabbath. Working miracles for non-Jewish people. See, Jesus was doing something outside of the box. And guess what? You better not stand in God's way. You better not stand in God's way. So let me take you back to Acts chapter 11. Now the word's gotten out about what happened in Acts chapter 10. Gentiles are getting the word. Peter, what have you done? Well, I'm just doing what Jesus did. I'm eating with sinners. I'm sharing the good news. I'm having my motives now, and my methods are being questioned. See, change is hard. Change is difficult. Even change that we need to make is difficult. And some of the Jews did not like the changes that God was proposing because God was upsetting the apple cart. He wasn't going to let them just hang out with the people that they liked. He wasn't just going to let them hang out with the people that was just like them. I'm going to help somebody here today. He was uprooting the hedges of laws and traditions that had so effectively created this boundary between us and them. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, you've got the the circumcision party criticizing him. We got the Republican Party and the Democratic Party and the Tea Party, and they had the circumcision party. (laughs) They said, what are you doing, Peter? You went to uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. See, the circumcision party, they loved the old rules. They taught that those old Jewish rules were necessary in order to be saved. These folks loved the old ways so much that they really wanted people to go backwards, to have a faith that looked more like the faith that God was trying to call them out of than the one that God was trying to call them into. And see, it's hard. It's it's really hard to blame them for struggling with this. They liked having clear lines. They liked the distinct differences. They felt naked or, or exposed without those walls. And you know what? If I'm really being honest with you, I can understand that, and there's a part of me that can even appreciate that. Amen. Thank you, Carter. Because they knew deep down that now life's going to get harder. Ministry is going to get way more unpredictable. It's going to get uncomfortable. We're not going to be able to define who's in and who's out as clearly and easily. It's going to get chaotic if we do it God's way. It's going to get messy. It's going to be confusing. And I understand that because predictable and comfortable is much easier to deal with. Can somebody say amen? See, I can relate to the circumcision part because I used to love the security that came with living in the box. Looking back, I realize, you know what, I have fought tooth and nail for things that I now realize God probably didn't care about nearly as much as I did. See, I have dedicated myself to things that may have even gotten in the way of God's plans. All in the name of how I thought things should be. And you see, it's sad that as Christians, 
Sometimes we can major so much on the minors and only get worked up about things that we don't like instead of the things that we should be doing to bring ourselves together. Amen? Now, I'm just going to be right up front with you. This is not an evangelistic sermon. This is a pastoral sermon here today. I want to help the body of Christ today. I've seen some church people fight hard over things that didn't even matter. Hymns versus worship styles. Worship choruses. I've seen people argue about how dim the lights should be during worship. Over whether or not to say amen during the sermon. What color the carpet should be. The list goes on and on. Add your own pet peeve if I haven't mentioned it yet. We had an event in our church uh, a week or two ago. This was not even a religious event. We allowed a group to have a, an event, and E.W. Jackson brought his group in, and they did a discussion. He ran for lieutenant governor a few uh, years ago, you'll remember, and he had a group here, and we had a man, true story, this just happened. I didn't hear it, but one of our greeters told me. We had a man walk in the back, and immediately he walked in the auditorium, and he said, oh, a purple wall. That doesn't help worship at all. Well, first of all, that's a black wall. Thank you very much. <laughs> Not only do you need the Holy Ghost, you need glasses, amen. First of all, and then he proceeded to tell our greeter. I'm telling you, first time he met him, he wasn't a member of this church, thank the Lord. And he started telling them about this is what our church believes about women in ministry. I'm sure that man's pastor was probably hoping he would join Life Church. But brother, there's a church right down the road for you, amen? You know, how are you going to walk in and say, black helps or hinders worship? How, how are you going to walk in and say that, that wearing a suit or wearing a pair of jeans, God really cares about how you dress when you come to church? Come on, somebody. You know what? Some Sundays I wear jeans and some Sundays I wear neckties just to confuse you. Amen. <laughs> Not really. But you know what, guys? We get worked up. I'm gonna, I want to help the church today. I've got good news for you today. There are all kinds of things that God cares about. And here's some more good news. There's a lot of things that God doesn't care about. And we need to focus on the things that really matter. Amen. And we need to make sure that our preferences and our prejudices are not standing in God's way. See, what he did come for, rather who he did come for, is very clear though. He came into the world for people. People like you, people like me. He came to save us by his blood. He came to save people that don't yet know him. Here's the newsflash. He did not die for your music style. He did not die for your favorite worship leader. He didn't die for your model of youth ministry. He didn't die whether this wall should be black or purple or white. Come on, somebody. He didn't die so you could sit in a pew or a pew chair. He didn't die if there's a cross on the building or not on the building. He didn't die for any of that stuff. He died so that we could have life. And we've got to be careful because Jesus plus anything else might just be too much.
Jesus plus what I like. Jesus plus what I was taught. Jesus plus how I was raised. Jesus plus what my denomination teaches. What should the church be focused on? Who did he die for? People that you know, people that I know, people who don't know the miracle of joy that is in knowing Christ. Knowing that they are unconditionally loved by a powerful, yet forgiving and holy, and yet completely merciful and understanding God. See, can we just get out of the way and let God move? Amen? Can we just get out of the way and let God move? See, because I'm here to proclaim to you today that the cross demands, hear me, that we give up our prejudices, we give up our preconceived ideas about who God can call and how he must do it. Life, church, do not stand in God's way. Saint of God, do not stand in God's way. We need to be a people that allow people to belong when they don't look like us, when they don't act like us, when they don't talk like us, when they don't behave like us. Hallelujah, come on. The church is to be a healing place, a hospital for the broken, amen. Not a museum for antiquated Christians. Amen. Tell your neighbors, say, don't stand in God's way. Because here's what I've learned. God's spirit and God's word will help people clean up their lives if there's something that needs to be addressed. Don't you stand in God's way. We need to be a people who are not closed in by our social boxes, our religious boxes, our relational boxes, our traditional boxes, our comfort zone boxes. And for goodness sake, don't stand in God's way or in the way of somebody who might be doing something different than you are to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I confess to you something that I'm embarrassed to say? I used to point my nose and my crooked little finger at anything that didn't look, talk, and act just like I did. And so did many of you. And if we're not careful, we do it when we become saved. We go out into our community. We don't know we're doing it, but we're doing it. We're judging people. We're immediately saying, well, if, 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 if it was me, well, guess what? The difference is you got Jesus and they don't. Amen? If it was me. See, Jesus died so that no one could be lost. And you know what? Christ called Peter. And the call that he gave to him is the same call that he extends to us. Go and reach the gospel. But not only that, listen, be prepared to do things to reach them that might make the already reached uncomfortable. Amen. Amen. And thank God Peter had to evolve into that position. You remember Peter post-crucifixion standing at the bucket at the fire? Hey, weren't you one of those? Nope, not me. Weren't you one of those guys that was hanging out with Jesus? No, not me. Are you sure you're not one of those blankety blank blank? I told you, not me. Now fast forward. Here Peter is standing up with a crowd of people. Hey, Peter, did you go? Yep, it was me. Peter, did you step into the house of a Gentile? I sure did. 
Peter, don't you realize that you're breaking the rules? Yep, but guess what? God told me to get out of the way because he's got a much bigger work to do than what we were allowing him to do. I want to help somebody here today. God wants you to get out of his way, and God wants you to get out of your own way because God's got something for you to do in this end-time harvest of souls. I know it is hard for many of us to change anything, but life's about change. We don't want to be the ones who put God in a box by allowing religious or traditional or prejudicial types of obstacles to keep us from doing His will. Amen? Some people hang on to form or ceremony or traditions or rituals or even certain styles of worship, hear me, to the detriment of being able to reach other people with the gospel. We can be guilty. Or we can put our preferences in the way of the salvation of other people. See, how can you tell if you need to work on this? Here, I've got a litmus test for you. Are you ready? Just look at the spirit of the legalistic Jews that Peter was dealing with in chapter 11. Here here it is. Look, they should have been rejoicing that people found God, but instead they were upset because Peter broke the rules. Can I just say it as plain as I can? If you're more angry that people are coming to know God, but they don't look like you, act like you, dress like you, they don't change as fast as you think they should change, if you're more upset about that than you are rejoicing that they found Jesus, you might need to do a heart check. Because that's exactly what these Jews were doing. Hey, Pete, what are you doing You broke the rules. See, prejudice or religion or even our traditions can blind us to God's purpose to reach out to all men with salvation. No matter who they are, the church should not exclude anyone. Anyone. The church must reach the dirty and the clean, the rich and the poor, the traditional and the non-traditional. Amen? The last seven words of a dying church are, we've never done it that way before. But you know what the next four words ought to be? But let's try it. (laughs) But let's try it. Aren't you glad Peter didn't allow himself to keep that kind of thinking? See, we need to realize we've got to do more than what we're doing if we're going to reach our world. What if God decides to work outside of our rules and our preconditions? I'm just asking you, what if? What if God decides to raise up people all around the world that don't go to Western-style churches? Because guess what? He's doing it. What if God raises up people who don't use the same kind of music and the same kind of lyrics and the same kind of instruments that we do? Guess what? He's doing it. What if God chooses to deal with people who aren't even allowed to go to church and still save them in the quietness of their home? He's doing it. I'm talking about an out-of-the-box God. What if God decides to work outside of our rules and our preconditions? Can you be okay with that? Because i got a newsflash, he's already doing it. And so it's important that we either get on board with God's agenda or get left behind. But whatever you do, don't stand in God's way. See, I love that Peter finally got to the place where he was not really worried about what the people thought. 
He was more interested in doing what God told him to do. Peter is proof that you can change your approach without compromising the gospel. Amen. Because even after he personally resisted, and got, and by the way, it wasn't easy. Read Acts 10. God had to tell him three times, hey, Pete. Hey, Peter. He finally stopped trying to put the Gentiles into his Jewish box, and the rest is history. Peter stepped outside his box. He ministered in a different arena and with a new level of anointing. And as we look at what God might have for us to do, we got to always follow God's leading. God has told us that salvation is for everyone, for whosoever will. And Jesus is our guide. And what did he do? Look at Jesus. He got out of the box. He lived among them. He ate with them. He ministered to sinners of all kinds. When the church crowd was gathered with stones in their hand, ready to kill him, he said, hey, go and sin no more. You know, the Bible says that he wrote in the dirt. This is not original with me, but I just heard a guy say this at a conference this week. What did Jesus write in the dirt? All these accusers are there. This woman had been caught in the act of adultery. And this guy was joking. He said, I think what Jesus did was he started writing names of their mistresses. Mary. Let me get out of here. Sarah. Oh, better drop my rock. Robin. Oh, let me. But whatever it was, they walked away. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. He said, you know what? They were condemning you, but now they're gone. I'm not here to condemn you. But look, it didn't stop there. This is no easy, grace, sloppy agape. Go and sin no more. Not here to condemn you. Not here to tear you. All the rocks, nobody's going to hit you with a rock. But go and sin no more. We need to look around. And see how we can best minister to those in our communities. And then take steps to do just that. And for many of us, hear me, the change begins internally. From the very birth of the church in the New Testament, God demanded that they must change their mindset and their approach for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And throughout the Bible, we see that change. By the way, as a matter of fact, salvation is all about change. Right? Responding to God's word leads to what? Heart change. Life change, world change. The very nature of redemption is change. Without knowing God and making Him our Lord and Savior, we're condemned to our sin, and our sin will take us to hell. But when we reach out to the Lord, we ask Him to come into our lives. When we make Him truly the Lord of our life, our nature, the nature of our relationship with Him changes. We begin something new that is a daily and hopefully a lifelong walk of change. So hear me, the question is not if you're going to change. But the question is, at what pace will you change? The bottom line is, as a disciple of Jesus, am I more concerned with the mission of God than the maintenance of my preferences and traditions? See, don't stand in God's way. God compels us to change for the sake of the gospel. And hear me, as the senior pastor, I am more concerned with positioning this church to experience genuine revival that leads to heart change and life change and change in our world. I'm way more concerned with that than I am the approval of man. 
I want to make sure our church is ready for its future and the vision that God has for us to make sure our church is poised to reach our children and our grandchildren. And if the Lord tarries, their children and grandchildren. I want to ask the praise team and the musicians to come. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. Today, hear me. God is calling for someone to answer the call to evangelism. Don't miss this. I want this to get personal real quick. Joel, get on here and play just as quick as you can. The Lord told me this morning when I was redoing my notes, when I was sitting on my porch drinking coffee, when I was making my final preparation, God told me to remind you that He is calling some of you to work in His kingdom. And hear me, being in God's way is not the problem. You're in your own way. That's the problem. You haven't said yes. You've been listening to the lies of the enemy. You've allowed excuses to rob you of your destiny. God's calling somebody into outreach. Calling you into missions right here in the city of Richmond right here in this church. Hear me, Life Church. We're not doing nearly what we need to be doing. Can I just tell you, I don't have my head stuck in this thing. We need to be in the jails. We need to be in the juvenile centers. Come on. We need to be teaching the Word of God. I can't wait for somebody to do that. That somebody might be you. Don't stand in God's way. We need to reach people where they are and not expect them to come to us. Some of you, I told you this is pastoral, some of you need to be leading life groups so you can reach your friends and you can help disciple God's people. You keep letting semesters pass you by and you know you're supposed to be doing more. Don't stand in God's way. Some of you are standing in the way just by sitting on your seat instead of mobilizing yourself to do what God has called you to do. Has anybody, this is the best way I know to pick, has anybody ever been to the grocery store and you got your cart and you just, you got a little list and you got the stuff you need, you want to hurry up and get home, you're tired, you've been working all day, you just want to get your stuff and you want to go and you're coming down the aisle and there somebody is. They got their cart parked on a 45, and they're standing there. And, you know, because you're a Christian, you don't want to be rude and just slam into them. And the subtle excuse me hasn't worked yet. They're just standing there staring at the beans. (laughs) Or, Or they're standing there talking to somebody, and you're just like, And you look behind you, now somebody's got you boxed in that way. You're like, oh. Has that ever happened to anybody, or is it just, or am I just the most impatient person that's ever walked the face of this earth? Amen. And you're standing there, and it seems like the longer you stand there, the more oblivious they are that there's anybody else even in the store. And you, you just, and if you're telling the truth, you just want to ram your cart right into their heel and go, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. You know what, I think sometimes when God looks at His church, He probably feels the same way. 
He's got an agenda. He's got a desire. He's got a plan. He's got a mission to see people say, and he's he's moving down the aisle from the north to the south to the east and the west. He's moving through our city, and all of a sudden he runs into the church. And there we are, staring at the beans. You know why? Because we got to make sure the brand is right. We got to make sure the label is right. It's not just any old bean will do. You haven't had my chili. It's got to be the right kind of beans. And here we are in the church. We're well-intentioned. And we've got a good heart. But sometimes we don't realize our inaction is standing in the way of what God wants to do. Don't stand in God's way. If you have a call of God on your life, Don't stand in God's way by not obeying the call. I want you to stand with me all over this house. So often God wants to break out and do something new. And there's a church or some Christian just standing there blocking the way or log jamming the will of God. We can't let our pride, we can't let our traditions, we can't let our stubbornness, we can't let our rebellion, we can't let our sin, we can't let our own agendas stand in God's way. We can't let our paradigm, this is how we've always done it, this must be the only way we can. No, 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 no. God's doing a new work. God's doing a fresh work in our world. We just need to turn Him loose and see what happens. We just need to say, God... I'm willing to be your hands and your feet. Use me. Today, God is calling some world changers. Let me be clear. God's will for the church is a worldwide mission. Peter stressed it. God called him to get out of the box. And he couldn't stand in God's way. Verse 5, he said he received a vision from God. Verse 5, he said the vessel descended from heaven. Verse 7 and 8 says the Lord spoke to him. Verse 10, the Lord commanded him three times. Verse 10, the vessel ascended back into heaven. Verse 11, he talked about the supernatural timing of the servants of Cornelius. Verse 12, he said the Holy Spirit instructed him. Verse 13, he talked about an angel's visitation. Verse 15, he said the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles just like on us. Verse 16, the Holy Spirit fell just like the Lord promised. Verse 17, God gave the Holy Spirit. See, it was a spiritual thing all along. The whole thing was a God thing. And every step of the way, Peter's job was just get out of the way. Just get out of the way. As a matter of fact, the Lord proved it because Peter's waxing eloquently in the middle of his sermon and God just interrupts his sermon and the Holy Spirit fell while he was preaching. Peter didn't even get to give the conclusion or the altar call. Peter just had to step out of the way. My prayer is, Lord, I'm willing to change whatever I must change for the sake of the gospel for the sake of reaching people. And God compels us to change for the sake of the gospel. We've got to reach this city, Life Church, and we need some foot soldiers. God is calling on us to change our focus off of ourselves and get it on Him. 
He's calling us to change. Because hear me, if we keep doing business as usual, we're going to die or at best we're going to stay stuck in the middle of the grocery aisle. I don't want to be that church that's just stuck in the middle of the grocery aisle making my chili the same way I always made my chili. We've got to bridge the gap of the generations. We've got to bridge the gap of the multiple ethnic groups in our city. We've got to get our church more involved in small groups so we can grow disciples. We've got to gather faithfully. We've got to connect in community. We've got to serve with passion. We've got to get out of God's way. Hear me, it's not enough just to huddle up on Sundays. Amen. Welcome to the huddle. Amen. Don't you love the huddle? I love the huddle. But how good would a football team if they never broke the huddle and ran the play? Doesn't matter how pretty the uniforms are, if you never get out of the huddle, you got to run the play and get in the game. So you know what I'm going to do right now? I want to open this altar. And I want you to ask you to step out from the huddle and walk down to this altar and say, God, I don't know what it's going to look like. You don't need to know, by the way. God, I don't know what this means yet, but I just want you to know I am stepping out of the way and I'm stepping into your will and your plan. Come on, somebody. God, I want you to use me like I've never been used to spread the gospel. I want you to use me to win somebody to you, Lord. God, if you want me to go to the jail, I'll go to the jail. If you want me to go to the hospital, I'll go to the hospital. If you want me to start a Bible study, I'll start a Bible study. If you want me to lead a life group, I'll lead a life group. If you want me to teach in children's ministry, if you want me to just go witness to somebody after church. But God, whatever it is, I don't want to stand in the way. I don't want to stand in the way. That's it. Come on from where you are. Let's get out of God's way. Let's continue to push the boundaries of our worship. Let's continue to push the boundaries of our prayer life. Come on. Let's continue to press in and step into what God's calling you to do. Get hungry for more of God. Get in the huddle, but then get out of the huddle and run the play. As the praise team begins to worship, let's ask God. God, use me. God. The evidence is all around. Come on. For the Come on. That's it. That's it. We need dreams.